Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Robert Land, along with my co-host, Brian Patterson, the man behind House of Houston, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Texans. We are your daily home for Texans news, views, and interviews like we do on most Wednesdays, we're going behind enemy lines today. And on the show, we have John Parado, who covers the Texans' next opponent, the Cleveland Browns, for FanRag. The Locked On Network has our new partnership with FanRag. And within the next month, our Locked On Texans website will be connected. So we're excited about that. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. In the offseason, uh, John, the Browns, of course, did the deal to bring a second-round pick from the Texans for taking Brock Osweiler's contract, which most everybody agreed was a nice move by the Browns. But then instead of taking Deshaun Watson, uh, when their draft pick uh, came up, they just, they dealt that pick to the Texans, allowing the Texans to take Deshaun Watson. And after passing on the opportunity to take Carson Wentz last year, John, were fans in Cleveland media wary of that move at the time? Or have you seen a lot of revisionist history, so to speak, in the last a uh, few weeks. <laughs> well, I think that if if you would have said two years ago, okay, you're, you're starting quarterback two seven two thousand seventeen, you got a choice between Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, or Deshaun Kaiser. I, I think a lot of people would have had Deshaun Kaiser number three, uh, and uh, certainly it's played out that way so far. I mean, uh, it, it's hard to understand that the the Browns' vision they they almost take a, a fantasy football type mentality to the quarterback position, it seems to me. You know, in, in fantasy football, a quarterback doesn't necessarily mean as much point-wise as it does in real football. And they seem to take that attack and how they put this together. And, and you know, it's very interesting. They have very much the equivalent of what a, a baseball would be, a sabermetric savvy front office. And, and they've done a lot of statistical analysis, a lot of in-depth uh, metrics to, to measure you know, the, the value of players and things like that. And they truly believe that a quarterback isn't quite as worth uh, it, it, as much as other teams do, but they've proven to be wrong so far. And, and um, it's not a knock on Deshaun Kaiser, who actually has had his moments in the first five weeks, but he just isn't surrounded by much talent at all. And, and certainly uh, he's certainly not Carson Wentz physically or, or Deshaun Watson but I do think he has a chance to be a good quarterback in the NFL, but they need to get him some help. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so they, they've yet to name somebody as we're talking with you right now. As of the moment, who do you expect to be the Browns' QB this week, and who would you go with? You know, I think Hugh Jackson's starting to feel the heat, if you, if you read between the lines of some of the stuff he said in his uh, press conference on Monday, the day after they lost to the Jets. Uh, you know, where all of a sudden he said, uh, you know, we're here to win games too. And while we're here, you know, we're trying to develop young players. You know, that's not our only goal. Our goal is to win games. And that tells me he's feeling the heat that he needs to start winning some games here. You know, he's one in, uh, I guess, one in 20 now in two years. And, you know, it, it's a, certainly a, 
a departure from just two weeks ago after the Bengals beat them 31 to seven. And he was asked uh, about uh, Kaiser's status. And, and he said, Kaiser's my guy. We're joined at the hip. We're, we're going through this together. Now, all of a sudden, he backed off of that Monday. And that leads me to believe that Kevin Hogan might get the start on on Sunday. Now, you know, I, I know that the Texans are down now defensively without Watt and Marcellus, and, and that changes things a little. So maybe he'd be a little more inclined to play Kaiser, but but I really believe if Watt and Marcellus weren't hurt, there would be no chance Kaiser were playing that game. I think it would just destroy whatever confidence he has left. But but even without those two guys at defensive tackle, I've, I've got to believe. I, I think if you read between the lines, I think Kevin Hogan's going to be his guy. Yeah, and just looking at uh, your, your guys' ability to defend the pass, I mean, you've got an elite – uh, pass protector uh, with uh, Jason McCourty uh, on the left side. But how about Jamar Taylor? I mean, if you were the Houston Texans, would you attack his side of the football? Yeah, I would. I think McCourty's been one of the few bright spots here in their own five start. and he's, he's been pretty much everything they hoped he would be this year. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I think, yeah, I would pick on Jamar Taylor. He, he's given up some big plays. I know the Bengals uh, two weeks ago, picked on him consistently. Even the Jets, who don't exactly have a high-powered passing attack with Josh McCown and some of their receivers, even they picked on Jamar Taylor uh, quite a bit Sunday. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you'll see Deshaun Watson go that way. Uh, you know, in fairness to the Browns' defense, though, they, they've been missing some, some key guys early in the year. They did get Miles Garrett back last week uh, for the first time, the number one overall pick in the draft. Of course, I know you guys are very familiar as a Texas A&M uh, alum, how good he is. And uh, he had two sacks and only 18 snaps. And also it looks like Jamie Collins will, will finally be back after missing three games of concussions. So uh, I think at least uh, they'll, they'll have a fighting chance to, uh, to be a little bit better uh, defensively than they've been the last couple of weeks. Yeah, another question I have for you, uh, John. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, in, in regard to um, how, uh, what the situation uh, is with uh, Jabril Peppers, of how he's uh, able to defend uh, out there, you know, at say at at, uh, at free safety, uh, he uh, hasn't played all too well. I mean, he was considered once uh, very elite, you know, back in the day, but um, you know, this was supposed to be something that was a knockout of the park you know, free agency signing, if I'm not mistaken, if that's how you guys got him. Uh, but what, what's going on with him? Do you see any signs of him improving? Well, he struggled to pick up the defense, and, uh, and I think a lot of it, there's a certain amount of uncomfortableness, if, if, to make up a word, uh, with, with Peppers. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of times Greg Williams has him, I mean, as far as 25, 20, 25 yards off the line, which is, uh, you know, even – that's even you know, for free safety, that's really far off the line. And I mean, you, you talk about a guy who played a lot of linebacker at Michigan, played a lot of strong safety. And I think he's just feeling lost right now playing that far off the line of scrimmage and being asked to cover faster players than he did in college. And, and you know, I really question if the, if the, if the Browns are deploying him right. It, it seems like the strengths that he had, his physicality, his, you know, his ability to, to rush the passer at times, uh, you know, from from the from the safety spot, uh, if they're not doing that with him, and it's like, well, why did you draft him if if if, for, if you don't want him to do the things that he does well? And you know, then he's also on the field a lot. He's, he plays on all the special teams, and you know, he's he's on the field probably as much as any player on the roster right now. And I I just think uh, I just think that 
that they put so much on his plate different than what he's used to that I think he's really struggling. I, I think he's he's certainly talented and, and has a chance to be a really good player, but boy, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see uh, them handle a guy just coming in the NFL a little bit different than, than they have. It just seems to me like they're making what's a tough transition for anybody to go from college to the pros doubly tough with the way they've deployed him. What do you think of uh, Hugh Jackson, uh, the coach? Because uh, do you feel like he's somebody that's working with two hands tied behind his back? Is he a good coach, do you think? And, and do you think that he gets uh, gets another year with the Browns after this year? I think they certainly owe it to him to, to give him at least one more year. I mean, they've, they've all but said publicly they're not even trying to win uh, here the last couple of years. They've just been trying to accumulate draft picks, and the higher the draft picks, the better. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a good coach. I, I think in Oakland he showed it in the one year he was the head coach there, and uh, for whatever re- reason, he got on the wrong side of Al Davis uh, in the one year that he, he did coach there. He was a highly regarded assistant. He, I know his players speak highly of him. They they think they like him a lot. But there has to be friction between the coaching staff and the front office, and I, and I think it's become apparent. And I know every time that it's brought up that, that Jackson says, no, it's not the case. But when these reports keep coming up basically every week that there's a disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff, that tells me uh, – and it's understandable. Like I said, the front office is running. It's set up and it's run a little bit different than most NFL front offices. They're trying something different in Cleveland. And, you know, and Hugh Jackson's an old school football guy. And, and when he, you know, when he doesn't have the players to compete, it, it has to hurt. And uh, not only from a pride standpoint, but a professional standpoint. I mean, your job, like you said, his job's to win. But coaches are, are, you know, they're bait, they're, they're, evaluated on wins and losses and he's got a lot of losses and one win in two, two years with the Browns. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> evaluations not looking very good. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a disaster of a franchise. I mean, I mean, it, it is, it's dysfunctional in every way, shape or form. They've ran through coaches like crazy. They've ran through GMs like crazy. They've had 55 quarterbacks or something like that in 19 years since they had the second reincarnation of the franchise. Uh, and, you know, until they stick to a plan, get a plan and stick with it, I don't think they're ever going to win. And I think what they need to do is try to all get on the same page and just live through this losing. And I think what they really need to do is express confidence in Hugh Jackson and not the dreaded vote of confidence, but a true vote of confidence and say, look, we don't really have a true NFL roster right now. and We can't really beat anybody. So you can't blame the coach for that. And I think if that happened. I think things will go a lot more smoothly with the Browns than, than the way they're going right now. Yeah, bringing in what Jimmy Haslam, bringing in Paul De Podesta, who is very well respected in analytic circles for running. You know, he's worked in baseball. You know, that's what he's certainly known for. He's actually moving over to football. And then you've got Sashi Brown, you know, in the GM position. Um, I know it surprised you that they were moving in a different direction, but A, do you think it will work? And it, what will it take uh, out of both of them, uh, the collaboration between the coaches and uh, what they're doing in the front office to make this a winning combination? This hasn't been done before. I mean, you know, most NFL teams go the traditional way. You know, ana- analytics is moving its way in basketball and in baseball. It's been there forever with Billy Bean, you know, introducing all of that. But this is the first time it's really been tried in football and just was wanting to get your thoughts on that. I look at it like this. The Browns have done all the traditional methods and they haven't won. So 
why not try something different? I don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> I know. And I, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I mean, there's really nothing, like you said, there's nothing to base it on because it hasn't been done. The thinking behind it certainly seems sound, but I think the hard part in the NFL is it truly is a what have you done for me lately business. And the way it's set up with the fans and the way contracts are set up with you know, with rookies only having four-year contracts and becoming free agents, you can't, whereas in baseball, players don't become eligible after they have six years of, of service time. I don't think you can you can really afford to have a five- or a seven-year plan in football, unfortunately, because by the time your young players start to develop, they could all be gone as free agents. And I think that's what might make it a little harder to do in football. And also in football, you don't really have any coaches yet who are totally on board with the analytics. You have some coaches who are somewhat with it, but nobody who is totally on board. And that was the problem Paul DePodesta had in in L.A. uh, with the Dodgers as general manager. He was a general manager, and Jim Tracy was the manager. And Jim Tracy was old school, and uh, he didn't want any part of the analytics. And and even after they won the National League West in 2004, a year later, uh, Tracy got fired after a second-place finish because, uh, you know, they just couldn't jibe. And it it may be he has to get rid of Hugh Jackson and find that coach out there to we don't really know about right now that's all on board with the analytics and is willing to to take part in uh, what's really kind of a grand experiment you think their scouts are just hanging out in la this year just uh you have a scout that has a full-time apartment in la looking at sam darnold and josh rosen all year long well you would think maybe but you know they say kaiser's a long-term guy but i think they've got to be out there watching both of those uh, both of those quarterbacks and you know there's a couple other ones too but certainly those two stand at the top of the list right now but you know it, it's hard to say with them uh, I mean they're hard to figure every time you, know, you figure they're going to do this they do that so they're kind of like the old when you zig I zag cut type deal so they may not even be looking at all the, either of those guys thinking that, that Kaiser is their long-term answer but uh, one thing is for certain they have a pretty good shot to have that number one pick if they want either one of them Hey, Brian, I'm curious. I'm sure you are. Uh, I want to ask him, what what are the positives for the Browns this year? What have you seen that you've liked from this team as far as uh, player personnel? Joe Thomas plays every snap still. He, he has, <laughs> he, uh, I tell you, there hasn't been a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, you know, I, I think what, what's hurt, what, what hurt is, uh, you know, Corey Coleman breaking his hand in the uh, a couple of weeks ago against Indianapolis and, you know, Kenny Britt's been a bust as a free agent. So, you know, what could have been a couple of good wide receivers for a kid like Kaiser to throw to are gone now. Isaiah Crowell has not had a good year at running back. And, you know, I, I do think the one bright spot, at least early, I thought Deshaun Kaiser played really well in the opener against the Steelers, which they almost won. They only lost by three points, but, you know, now he has no, weapons around him he, he you know he has a very makeshift offensive line except for joe thomas and really uh, i think the defense could be good when they're all healthy i mean they did play well against the steelers but as it turned out the steelers offensive juggernaut has not been a juggernaut so far through five games and they've had problems but you know you look at the browns you know they have danny shelton hurt and like i said jamie collins missed three games he should be back this week and 
you know, I, I think if you can get their, their defense, their, you know, their, their main defenders, and if Miles Garrett can get healthy enough to play a, you know, a normal amount of snaps, I, I do think that their defense could be pretty good. But right now, uh, you know, between the injuries and just the inconsistencies, there's not a whole lot of bright spots. Even the kicker, Zane Gonzalez, uh, who they drafted from Arizona State, is less than uh, 50% on field goals. So it's just been a disaster on all levels. Yeah, and with Miles Garrett, I mean, he he just came in uh, you know, just last week, uh, week five. Uh, this is the first time we've seen him uh, for this season. He got 19 snaps, Sam, which uh, 15 of those were passing snaps, four were running snaps. What did you think about how he performed last week? I know it was a really bad game for you guys against the Jets, but um, how do you think he performed on an individual basis? Hey, they're not they're not my guys, by the way. Don't say you guys, the Browns aren't my guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll see all kidding aside. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. My, my own Garrett, uh, <laughs> he, he did play well. He did. And I mean, that was certainly a bright spot. They brought him in on the third play of the game and he had a sack in the first game of his uh, first snap yeah. of his career against Josh McCown, which, you know, that was, that was a bright spot. And he had another one and he played well overall. And, you know, if he can just get healthy, that, that would make a big difference. And, you know, that was a blow, you know, as much psychologically as, as physically. And, uh, it, you know, when he got hurt in training camp and, and had to miss the first four games. I mean, you know, I mean, there's just that aura around the Browns where if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And, and you know, and it, it happens again. I mean, you know, they get the number one pick in the draft. They get the guy they really wanted. They, they truly thought Garrett could, could, can be a, a game changer, uh, you know, a you know, a perennial all-pro linebacker, and by all accounts, I mean, he could be from the way he played at Texas A&M and, you know, yeah. how he's – the scouts think, and, and sure enough, he gets hurt in training camp. And, you know, he got hurt in minicamp too. And it's just like everything – it's like a dark cloud hangs over the Browns all the time. And, and you know, I think him coming back, even though they lost to the Jets, and, uh, you know, I do think that was a bright spot. And, and I think at this point when you're 0-5 and – you're losing to the Jets, and the Bengals are beating you up by three touchdowns. Uh, any bright spots you can find, you tried to hold on to right now. Yeah, Texans fans are very familiar with what you're talking about. They they went through that with Jadavian Clowney, and hopefully, you know, the good news is he, he didn't get hurt his second game into the season, was out for the entire season, and really wasn't. And, and you know, hopefully they can keep him healthy for next year. And, you know, we're rooting for Miles Garrett down here. I mean, just – and all all we've heard is just what a what a incredible guy he is when he was at Texas A&M and speaking of Brian's last question and, and you guys it's a good time to point out that John's actually out of Pittsburgh and also covers the Steelers and that leads me into my next thing John and they're uh, not my guys either anymore yeah <laughs> <laughs> the AFC North is this the worst division uh, in football right now cuz we, we took a lot of heat down here with, with the AFC South for a long time well, I will say this. I was very impressed by the Jaguars the other day here. They won 30 to nine. They picked Ben Roethlisberger off a career nine five times. And uh, I mean, they look like they're legit, you know, I mean, you know, and I like the Texans even without JJ Watt, I, I think, you know, but uh, getting to AFC North. Yeah. You make a case. It might be the worst division The Browns are, are bad. The Bengals aren't exactly Super Bowl material. And, you know, I know the Ravens, uh, kind of pulled a, a little bit of a stunner uh, in Oakland the other day. Not so much that they beat Oakland without Derek Carr, but that they rolled up as many points as they did against a, a pretty decent Oakland defense. And, you know, but still, I, I don't see them as, as a great team by any stretch. And, you know, I think the, the Steelers could still be one of the better teams in the league, but they've got some issues on and, I believe, off the field right now. 
that they need to get straightened out. And, uh, you know, the sooner the better for them. And it's no easier this week. They go to Kansas City, play the only undefeated team left in the league in the Chiefs. And uh, so, no, it's uh, it's not the best division. But I do believe that the Steelers will, will wind up winning it just because of the weakness of it. But, you know, for so many people who thought the Steelers could, could win it all this year, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm going to reserve judgment on that after what I've seen through five games. And just to tap into your to your psyche here, and and just into the Browns' faithful psyche, what motivates them? What keeps them coming to games when they they see things like this that that nothing uh, seems to be uh, improving with their team? I mean, the Cavaliers lifted. Uh, the city, you know, that was just great for the city whenever they won that championship. But as a Browns fan, what do you think has them coming back year after year rooting for, you know, what they have in front of them? Well, uh, you can only be diehard so far and then something else has to keep you up. Well, I think a lot of it really has to do with the whole Rust Belt mentality. I think, you know, you look at Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit. I mean, football is big. Football, you know, as much as the, the Cavs have had success in, in the Indians, Cleveland's still a football town. Pittsburgh will always be a football town. And, and I think that's kind of the identity of, you know, even though neither city is really nearly as blue-collar as, as it used to be or as people outside of you know, this region thinks that it is anymore. There's still that mentality there, and football still means a lot from high school games on Friday night to college games on Saturday. I mean, Penn State and Ohio State are, are, you know, are huge in both states. And, you know, and then the pro teams, and I think that's what it comes down to, just the – there's a lot of pride there, and it, it's just ingrained in you is that's what you do on Sundays. And, you know, I, I hear that all the time from Browns fans from Cleveland. I don't know why I ever go back, but yet – the next time they go back and I just, it's just something that it's just ingrained in them and it's something they do and they've learned to live with the losing. And, uh, you know, I, I do think it'll be funny. I once asked Joe Thomas this, uh, probably, probably five years ago now, I was doing a story on him for USA today, uh, for their sports weekly magazine. And, uh, I said, Joe, what do you think it'd be like if you guys ever won the Super Bowl? He stopped for a minute. He goes, oh, my God, I couldn't even imagine. He goes, this town would go crazy. He goes, literally crazy. They may burn the whole town down. They'd be so <laughs> it would, And it would be interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, at this point, they would even take a playoff. Uh, they've only played one playoff game in their 19 years. And, and even in that game was against the Steelers, their arch rival. They had a three-touchdown lead in the third quarter and lost the game. So, I mean, you know, even even one single time they've been to the playoffs ended up being a heartbreaker. So I think if they just could get to the playoffs someday, it would be uh, quite a feat. And I think you'd see the town go crazy, much like even more so than when the Cavaliers uh, won the NBA two years ago and even when the Indians got the Game 7 of the World Series last year. Well, let them know that, uh, hey, the, the Houston fans, uh, the football fans here know exactly what you're talking about because it's been since uh... – 1979 since we've had a one of our NFL teams in a in a AFC championship game and I think the Browns it's been a, it's a little, a little bit more recent uh, there was there, those are some bad memories I know against the Broncos but it's been a little bit more recent I wanted to ask you one, one last thing as far as the game itself uh, is there a formula for the Browns to win this thing is there any way that you can see them doing it and if so how do you, how do they do that I mean they no I mean anything could happen I mean you know I mean like the Texans could have six or eight more guys get hurt like J.J. Watt and Whitney more so <laughs> but no really I, I mean I, I don't see any way even with that defense down two really good players 
I, I just don't see whether it's Kevin Hogan or Deshaun Kaiser or, uh, you know, Otto Graham rises from the dead that how they're going to win that game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, like I said, if they're defensive, they get Collins back. And if Garrett's a little more healthy, maybe they could at least slow Deshaun Watson down a little bit. But I just think the, the Texans have too many weapons offensively, too, for, for them to just shut them totally down. And, no, I, I don't really see, unless it's just a real fluky day where the Texans play awful, I mean, really bad for them not to win. If you're wondering what factory that John produced that question or that answer from, he produced it from the factory of sadness. Uh, <laughs> in, fact, in, fact, in fact, two weeks ago, I referred to it after their 31-7 loss to the Bengals, in which the stadium was pretty much empty at the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter. I, I, I called it the, the factory of uh, hopelessness. Everybody just walked out. <laughs> It was hopeless. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's too bad. It's a really nice stadium. It truly is. That's one one thing the Browns have done right since they came back in the league. They they built a really nice stadium on the site of the, the old one, which wasn't really nice. So it, uh, they at least have that going. Yeah, stay with us, John, for a little bit. We just we want to hit one quick Texans note, and then we're going to close things out. Uh, just a just one note from uh, the Texans on Tuesday. They released Ja Reed, the tackle, and Jonathan Banks, the cornerback, and they've added Marcus Williams. Uh, you Texans fans should remember Brian uh, because that guy actually looked really good. I thought in training camp when the Texans, uh, you know, when they when they had him in their training camp about four years ago. And then they, they let him go. The Jets picked him up, and he had a, a bunch of interceptions in 2015, Brian. But uh, since then, it, it, it's not been good for him. He was a starter, and then he was on the bench, and, and now he's released. And he's a Jets guy, so I don't, I don't know if it's a good sign that they're, they're picking up Jets guys. But I, obviously, they weren't happy with Jonathan Banks. They're just going to keep playing around on the waiver wire until they get this right. And who knows if they if they do get this right, uh, we'll, we'll just have to work that out and, and just, you know, hope that it does. But Jonathan Banks, I mean, he just, you know, he had a good the week before last last week was, you know, it was very blah, but he had a good week in between. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just rifle that they that they cut him. I mean, he just didn't really impress me. But uh we still need that cornerback to help until Kevin Johnson gets back. So obviously with this roulette that they're playing, uh, he's he's still got some time that he needs to, to heal. And if he hopefully is back to where he should be, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to lose hope in the guy. And I know it's only been <laughs> you know two seasons, but geez, he's got to stay healthy. Yeah, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, John Parado from – uh, and John, are you still there? Uh, you, we we, we want to get you to uh, talk about where people can find your stuff. We know we, you know you cover the Browns and the Steelers up on FanRag. How can they uh, how can they find your stuff on social media and and the website as well? Okay, my my Twitter uh, handle is capital J capital P E R R O T T O, and my stories can be found at FanRag.com. Sounds good, man. It's wonderful to talk to you, and uh, we we definitely understand the the Browns predicament. Houston sports fans are de- de- have dealt with it a lot over the years. the The Oilers have had their share of seasons, and the Texans have been through it all. So uh, it was fun to talk to you. And just a reminder before we go, uh, if you would like to win a free subscription to Pro Football Focus, don't forget to go to iTunes, rate us, rate Locked On Texans on iTunes, and it's really easy. You just put your Twitter handle or a way to get in touch 
and you get to win. You get your chance to win a Pro Football Focus $40 free membership, free subscription. So great, great opportunity there. If you're a new listener, pass the word along to a friend or two. Let them know they can find us on iTunes and all your regular podcast apps. Don't forget to listen to our Locked On Network colleague, Ben DuBose, and the Locked On Rockets podcast. Follow Brian's stuff over on House of Houston. And don't forget about my Houston Sports Talk podcast where we're going to be covering the Astros as they make their way through the playoffs. It can be found in all the same places you find Locked On Texas. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17